Hello, everybody, and welcome to Nerd Shit. Nerd Shit. Nerd Shit. Absolutely lovely, everybody. Excellent. What a lovely singing voice you all have. Today, we're going to be talking about Iron Man, starting the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which we're going to be slowly going through. Uh, But first, I want to introduce you guys to the nerds. Uh, My name is Sam Wilson. I'm your biggest fan, Sam. I'm like 300 pounds. I'm your biggest fan. (laughs) Uh, my name is Zach Schneider. I'm Troy Hensley. Zach Schneider. We're all waiting the Schneider cut, Zach. I'm working on it. You know how hard it is when you have absolutely none of the original video. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I am Tommy Scoggins. And we are nerd shit. Sometimes. So, in passing by, let's talk about WandaVision. Ooh. Just a reminder that we record these episodes on Wednesday and they release on Friday. So you guys who are listening to it, the fifth episode is out by now, but we've only watched up to the fourth episode. I just want to say, and this will be spoiler free for now because we're going to do a full spoiler episode on WandaVision, but the fourth episode, easily my favorite episode so far. And I've been enjoying the show in general. Like I've, I've been enjoying the kind of retro sitcom thing they've been doing, but like... For I know a lot of people who have been like, when's the story going to start? What is this show about? The fourth episode was to shut everybody up. Yeah, I, mm. I think they were listening to everybody complaining about the stylization that they were going with. And then all of a sudden they were like, here's your plot. Here, there, everything. It's, it's like you miss one day in school and the teacher tells you the secret to knowing all math. Well, that's what happens if you miss episode four. If you miss episode four, you are lost. Well, then I am lost because I'm waiting for it to all come out so I can binge it like a normal person does. (laughs) I um... I know people who are doing that. That's the reason why I'm going spoiler-free with this, because I know people who are waiting for the whole thing to come out. I want to give them a chance, but... I would just say, for those of you who are watching week to week, or if you're considering starting it, like, definitely... If you're the impatient type of person, wait for the fourth episode. It's great. It's only yeah. half-hour episodes. It's not much to get through. Again, I enjoyed the first three, but the fourth one was excellent. It was really awesome. What did you yeah. think, Zach? I personally loved it. Um, episode four, yeah, not going into spoilers, but it tells you a lot. Brings forward some characters who definitely deserve their time in the spotlight. Definitely loved uh, seeing them get a chance. Yeah, when you were talking about, uh, oh, I'm just going to wait and binge it. I, I do love binging stuff. I have waited until the night for a show to come out and then binge watch the entire season in one go. I'm guilty of that. I do think that maybe Netflix has slightly spoiled us as far as binge culture because we don't we don't really know how to watch Slightly. shows like one at a time anymore. And, you know, I do, I do kind of like the slow teasing of the mystery as there is a bit of a mystery to this show. Uh, if you've never watched an MCU movie before, then this is going to be a very strange introduction to the MCU for you. And if you have watched an MCU movie before, you're going to be very confused by the point at which this show starts. So either way, you're in for a mystery. 
Well, if you're listening to this episode, we're talking about Iron Man, and we are doing a full spoiler review of Iron Man, so you should have at least seen that movie as far as the MCU goes. No, yeah, I've I've loved it overall. I've liked the old retro comedy. I do also like the more up-to-date comedy in episode four as well. Yeah, overall, it's just a fascinating show with, yeah, really interesting design decisions, really faithful recreations of some classic sitcom styles, and I'm interested to see where they go, both with the main storyline and in their homages uh, to comedies of days of yore. It's funny that you're saying how Netflix has kind of spoiled us as far as binging goes, because I know a lot of people love to binge shows, and there are certain shows that, like, like I can definitely watch a few episodes in a row, but I don't really like binging. I, ne- I never have. I've never really gotten on, on board that train. I really do like to watch shows one episode at a time, if not week to week, certainly not all on the same day or whatever, just because, like, me personally, like, I just get too ADD. I get too burned out on just the same show. Like, I need I need variety. You, my friend, would be no help at a buffet. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have to say that I do agree with, I do agree with Sam. Uh, now, I, I love binging. I am a binger. I do love binging, mm. but I love having the week to week to where I can watch the episode a couple of times and I'm an actor. So I analyze it and I love guessing where it's going. I haven't been wrong so far. And I think it's pretty easy to guess where WandaVision is going when you start watching it. Even thus far, even if you skip episode four, they have foreshadowed everything and I love that. I'm watching American Gods as well. It's one of my favorite shows. And I love being able to go from week to week and go, okay, I've watched this episode three times. This is going on, and I love that this is going on, and I think this is going to happen next. Well, and it gets to easier to have kind of a communal discussion about it when everybody's on the same episode. It's like the week that a new a season of Stranger Things comes out. Whenever you talk about it, you always have to ask, wait, what part are you, what episode are you on before you can have any kind of mm-hmm. discussion? With WandaVision, if you're watching it, you know that pretty much everybody who's watching it currently is going to be up to date because it's just page, one episode yeah. a week. Okay. okay, so the Snyder Cut of Justice League. Apparently Jared Leto's Joker is going to be in it. Jared Leto's Joker who I honestly thought we were never going to see again after Suicide Squad came out. So it's like, okay. Yeah, he's actually coming back for another uh, DC Universe, a new one that they're filming. Here's my thing about his Joker. He is old enough. He is a beautiful man. I'm talking uh, physically, not personally. I don't know him personally, so I don't know how he is. I know he creeped out Will Smith. But here's the thing. I don't like the design of this Joker, and I don't like his execution of the Joker, whether that's through direction given to him or whether he created this. The way that I take this, I think this Joker would work out best if they said and revealed later on that it's actually Jason Todd. But it's a little too late for that because of the relationship that he has with Harlequin. It wouldn't make a lot of sense given Suicide Squad if that were the case, but there was definitely yeah. a way. Like, they teased the Jason Todd fate in Batman v Superman. They, they showed a Robin suit that had Joker writing on it, which I always <laughs> thought was teasing a Red Hood storyline down the line. 
which I thought would have been Still really open. cool with Ben Affleck's Batman. Ben Affleck is playing Batman one more time in the Flashpoint movie, but I yes! think that that's going to be. But I actually have a feeling that that's going to be a glorified cameo, to be honest, because I think there's going to be a bunch of mm. Batman in that movie. Because I think Michael Keaton's also going to be in that one. He is. That's mm-hmm. what they're talking about. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so I think I think that's also going to be the last time that we see Ben Affleck as Batman. I, I think that he doesn't really want to play Batman again, but he'll do it for just a cameo. Makes me sad. Oh, I love mm-hmm. his Batman. I really do love his Batman. I thought it was as good, if not better, than Michael Keaton. I am excited for the Snyder Cut for one more chance to see Ben Affleck's Batman, because I think they kind of screwed mm-hmm. the pooch with that first version of Justice League they did. I'm curious, like, as far as Jared Leto's Joker goes, I I'm agree and disagree with, with some of your points, Troy. I, I like I actually liked his performance in the role, and I, I liked the way that they did that Joker. I just didn't think that that Joker was well utilized in the story of Suicide Squad. Like, I, I just felt like they just, they just used him. And it is necessary to have a version of the Joker... If you're doing a movie with Harley Quinn and if she's appearing for the first time, the Joker is an integral part of her origin. But I also think that they should have done a movie with Harley Quinn before they did Suicide Squad because, like, I I, ne- I feel like I missed out on seeing the Joker and Harley Quinn as bad guys fighting Batman. Like, I feel like you have to always do that before you do Suicide Squad. Like, the whole point of Suicide Squad is I feel like you're supposed to have seen these bad guys before fighting their respective heroes and then it's like the spinoff of them all coming together. But to have Suicide Squad be the first time you see all of those characters was a little bit weird. It kind of countered to the point of Suicide Squad to me. But, you know, I mean, that, that's also a completely different tangent. I'm very uh, curious about the Snyder Cut, and I'm looking forward to watching it. I want to see what he does with it. I'm glad that they didn't give me the same old boring Batman beginning story again. So I'm excited to see what they do with it. Uh, I... I've seen the Waynes get shot so many times in my life, I'm done with that part of Batman's life. I know he's not. I know he's still working through it. But let's be honest, we've all seen the Waynes get shot way too many times. And those Yeah, it's like the, pearl, the pearls falling yeah. to the ground. Like, how many times have we seen that, you There's know? There's only so it's much like Michael Keaton's do. Batman, Batman Begins, Batman v Superman, yeah. Joker, the first episode of Gotham. Yeah. Like, it's like, how many times, you know? <laughs> we don't need to see it. They want to make sure we know. <laughs> For those who exactly. Didn't. <laughs> Did you know that know. Batman's parents are dead and his mom had a pearl necklace and the pearls what? all fell to the ground when she died? I did oh not God. know what? that. Wait, wait, that <laughs> was Batman's News parents? to me. Spoiler <laughs> alert! But as far as Zack Snyder's cut, I'm a Joss Whedon fan. I love Joss Whedon. I, I drool on my chin when I think about reading one of his scripts, when I think about watching most of his shows. Um, I absolutely love Joss Whedon, and I think that he is a master storyteller when he is not throwing a hissy fit, and that's the problem with working with Joss Whedon. I'm going to go into the Snyder Cut open-minded, like I did with the extended cut that they have on HBO Max um, of Batman vs. Superman, which is much better, which is much Mm -hmm. better. I'm going to go in open-minded because I love me some Joker. The Joker has been my favorite villain since I was a kid. I'm excited to see what he did with the Joker. And I'm excited, I hope, that I sit down to watch this movie and that Jared Leto changes my mind with his scenes that he's going to have in this movie. I hope that I, I, that I have my mind changed. 
He's he's a really good actor. I mean, regardless of how you feel about his Joker, he's a really good actor. He's an amazing actor and an amazing singer. You know, I love Thirty Seconds to Mars. That's yeah. such a good band. So I'm open to it. What do you think, Snyder? What are you doing with this cut, and how do you feel? <laughs> uh, I just wanted to. I I'm just sorry, wanted Schneider. to put more awkward There's a difference. Schneider. <laughs> oh yeah. You caught me. I'm I'm not acclaimed it's, director Zack no, Snyder. No, your name but. your name is just how Sean Connery would pronounce Zack Snyder. Schneider. Oh, yeah. Zack oh, yeah. Snyder. Schneider. <laughs> no, I'm I'm excited for it. If only because I do I do like a lot of Joss Whedon's projects, but frankly, it was very obvious that the theatrical version of Justice League was some weird Frankenstein hybrid between some stuff that the Joss Whedon and the studio felt that they needed to enter. And even then, I'm slightly more blaming the studio um, than Joss Whedon on that. Yeah. I, I 100% believe that Joss Whedon was just a company man with that movie. Like, that was not his mm-hmm. creative vision. That was what Warner Brothers told him to do. I, I honestly Absolutely. believe that when I watch that movie. It's not even an unwatchable movie, but it doesn't feel like the work of like an artist with a vision. It feels like it feels like a corporate, like company created, you know. Mm-hmm. This yes. is this is just a hundred percent just we're trying to get butts and seats, we're trying to make box office and address what complaints people had about the previous mm-hmm. movies and basically just make a version of Justice League that's exactly like Avengers, which is why they hired Joss Whedon because he made Avengers. Mm-hmm. The thing about being a corporate director is don't get me wrong. That's bank. When you're a corporate director, mm-hmm. you're able to do whatever you want to do after the project. But in the project, if it's a big name, they're going to control you every which way you go. And the only thing you can do is make sure that shit gets covered. You have to make sure that everything's shot. You have to make sure that, that you don't have to do reshoots. If you do have to do reshoots, you have to, do, you have to make sure they're scheduled. You are the manager of that facility. And that's... Mm-hmm. All you are is a facilitator to make sure that everything gets done. The The director doesn't get to put a lot of their feelings into it. Not like Jon Favreau has been able to do with Marvel and mm-hmm. with uh, Star Wars. So they don't get to put their viewpoint forward on their movies mm-hmm. because it, everything has to be okay. I think that's a mistake that a lot of these larger companies do. Places mm-hmm. like New Line, they still give directors freedom in a lot of situations, and their movies show. But with Marvel and with Disney, they have left, again, yeah, DC, they have left a lot of distaste in uh, certain directors' mouths and that they leave projects because of it. And that's exactly the reason I'm interested in this cut of Justice League is that, mm-hmm. you know, love him or not, Zack Snyder does have a distinctive style and vision for his movies. And if nothing else, I want to see what he was building towards with Man of Steel, with Batman v Superman. Justice League was not, frankly, was not a sequel to the movies he made. That all of that identity was completely erased in the theatrical cut. So I do want to see what he was actually going towards, what he was building towards. And maybe it's not going to be great, but I... I'm at least interested in the story that he was trying to tell. Um, and I'm surprised and delighted at least that he is going to be able to do that. I'm actually weirdly excited that it's four hours long. I don't know why. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like ready to sit for like four hours of Justice League. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm happy that they split it up into four episodes. 
They're gonna after they release all four episodes. They said they're gonna release a version of it that's all edited edited together, and I'm tempted to wait for that one, but oh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Maybe. I'm too impatient to wait. <laughs> Give me now. I under, I understand that. It's just for me. It's just like if, I feel like it's it's a movie, and I want to experience it all at once as a movie. You know, it's not a show to me, but I'll, I'll see what ends up happening. Are we ready to talk about GameStop? Yes, let's get into GameStop. Mm-hmm. Tommy, take us away. All right. So, with GameStop, if we were to take all of our opinions and take them in to get store credit, we would be awarded probably half a magazine. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's. I think it's a stocks thing. I, I don't think it really doesn't have anything to do with GameStop. They were a they were and still are a dying company because of times. That's just what happens. And they became a Fortune 500 company because of a group of people that spread the word and a bunch of people invested. I don't feel bad for the big wigs that are losing cash because they play the gamble and and sometimes you need to know when to hold them and know when to fold them. What was it Qui-Gon? Qui-Gon Jinn says something about that. Like, when you gamble, my friend, sometimes you lose. Whatever it was. <laughs> precisely, precisely. Yeah. I, I don't really understand it because I don't really understand how the stock market works. And I, I've always been confused about the stock market. I've just never really got it. But as far as like, I, I guess I get the fact from like all the memes I've been seeing that a bunch of Redditors like just bought a bunch of GameStop, GameStop stock and a lot of the Wall Street people are super pissed about it, which I guess kind of makes me happy. In a weird way, the the reason the reason why they're upset because they're losing money is because they put options on GameStop. Put as in in the stocks is for the market to drop. They were like, we bet X amount that the stock is gonna drop, mm-hmm. and so when it does drop, they get X amount of money because they are a dying company. Again, the stock is dropping. Mm-hmm. So when a bunch of people bought stock, that's a call. They bought stock, which raised the actual stock itself, which hurt their put is what's going on here. It's a bunch of uh, stock lingo. I know a little bit about the stocks. I'm teaching myself, mm-hmm. but it's it's they're mad because they bet it was going to go down. A bunch of people were like, hey, it's going to go down. Should buy some or, or, or something. I don't know if it's necessarily insider. Mm-hmm. What they're doing is not illegal. They've been doing it. This Everything has been that way in stocks mm-hmm. forever. What's illegal is if you have inside information like, hey, like Martha Stewart. The whole thing with Martha Stewart, she had inside information, and that was illegal for her to act upon that. And she told friends, too, that also made stock investments towards the way it was going to go. But when she was in court, she didn't name names. No, because she's gangster. (laughs) (laughs) I will say, Tommy, the way that you just explained it is actually the simplest and most, like, (laughs) comprehensive way that I've had that explained to me so far. Like, I I think I kind of almost get it. Because, like, (laughs) the whole thing is just... Stock is just so confusing to me. It it can be, yeah. Anyone who has ever shopped at GameStop would know that anything that you try to sell involving GameStop, you're not going to get nearly as much as you have to pay to buy. (laughs) (laughs) So are we going to call this the GameStop bailout? The people's bailout. The people's bailout. They're still going down. Now it's just going to be, it's going to take longer. It'll it'll take a little longer. It's it's like they're going down, but now they're giving their middle fingers as they're going down. (laughs) (laughs) Let's get into our movie. Yes, Iron Man. The first movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, mm-hmm. 2008. 
I remember very distinctly this movie coming out. When I first saw this movie, I, and from what I gather, most of the cinema-going audience knew absolutely nothing about Iron Man except for this. Da 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 na 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 That's not even the same character. <laughs> no, it's not. No, but that was the sum sum total of my knowledge of Iron Man. Oh, that's interesting. I, I actually, I actually did know. I knew Iron Man because I because I had been reading. I had been reading Amazing Spider-Man comics for a number of years, and Iron Man would often, especially in the years leading up to the movie coming out, Iron Man popped up a lot in Spider-Man comics. And I remember, like, the really a year before Iron Man came out was the Marvel Civil War uh, crossover event, which I remember reading, and I, I became much more familiar. So, like, I definitely knew, I knew actually a lot about Iron Man going into this, but it was still, this was still a very different take on Iron Man. I watched The Incredible Hulk with Edward Norton in it in 2008. Yep. And I said, fuck this shit. And I didn't come <laughs> back to the Marvel Cinematic Universe until Avengers, and the only reason why I came back to it is because Joss Whedon directed Avengers. Right. So I watched it, and I was disappointed in it, because I hadn't watched the movies beforehand, because I'm an idiot. And I went back, <laughs> and I watched the movies, and I was like, holy shit, Incredible Hulk is the only shitty movie out of the whole thing. And I fell in love with them after that. Oh, but see... Edward Norton, Edward Norton's uh, mm-hmm. version of Hulk is not the same Hulk. It is. But it is. So, okay, but it's, it but is. It is can't. It's the same character. It, that movie is canon. It's just. It's just a recast. But that's the same yeah. Bruce Banner. That is actually it? Is. Yeah. That's supposed yeah. to be the same one. It is. It is. Yeah. Okay. Yep. They just put in a better actor because Edward Norton <laughs> sucks, donkey dick. Well, you wouldn't like him when he's hungry, so. <laughs> <laughs> no. I don't care if you quote me on that one. I'm not an Edward Norton fan. He's a controlling <laughs> asshole. Well, we'll get into Terrence Howard when we talk about this movie. Speaking <laughs> God <of> damn it! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's my first take on Iron Man. Uh, but I have watched Iron Man at least ten times. The Thor franchise and the Iron Man franchise are my favorite. Captain Shit My Pants can go fall off a fucking bridge. America's ass? Him. Yeah. You don't like America's ass? I like the actor, but I do not like the character. Uh, I hate that character. I feel like Tony Stark about Captain Shit My Pants. No. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, already, I'm already excited to get into the rest of these MCU movies after hearing your, your takes. Mm-hmm. Let's get into these topics. What's, what's the first on the uh, topic list? Uh, so Tony Stark's uh, character arc, his reactor, literally his character arc, <laughs> yes okay that was kind of that was kind of a joke that i threw it's like tony stark's character arc and i put the word reactor in parentheses his mm-hmm. arc reactor get it because he has an arc reactor <laughs> right <laughs> well i mean where do we start i love the fact that he made it in a cave um and then everyone else is pissed off that uh you know um we've got close. big z over here that's mad that he the, his gr- group can't make it in the uh in the lab <laughs> Did you guys get the Big Z reference? It's from... Yeah. Okay, good. Okay. Yeah. Just making sure. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm in the dark on that one, but uh, okay. <laughs> oh. Explain it for him. Okay, so that... Uh, what's his name? What's the actor's name? Jeff Bridges. Uh, yeah, yeah, Jeff Bridges. Bridges. Um, he was also in Surf's Up with Shia LaBeouf. Yeah. And he played Big Z, uh-huh. one of the surfers. And every time I hear his uh, voice, I can't not see the big surfing penguin. 
Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah. This is a complete tangent. Have you guys seen the movie Seventh Son? Seventh Son. That sounds familiar. What's okay, this is a fantasy movie with Jeff Bridges mm-hmm. and uh, Kit Har- Actually, no, Kit Harrington didn't actually play the guy. Kit Harrington, but he was also in that movie. But but it was Jeff Bridges and like a younger actor who's like the lead. But Jeff Bridges is like the Obi Wan who's training this this young guy, and it's it's this fantasy movie. Jeff Bridges literally talks like this the entire movie. Yes, I'm Jeff Bridges. Are you the seventh son of the seventh son? His performance is so hilariously bad in that movie. That movie is like one of the worst, like best movie. Is okay. It is so bad that you have to watch it. It is so funny. It is so 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 so. It's on the list. I love it. Jeff Bridges, his performance is so terrible that it's actually brilliant. Like it's like it's it's <laughs> actually it goes all the way back around to just being great. Jeff Bridges looks like Oberon Zell Ravenheart in the movie. I watched it a long time ago. I forgot all about that movie until you mentioned it. I love that movie. He also kind of looks like a pirate that uh, doesn't allow people to pass. <laughs> <laughs> you shall not pass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Got to throw that in there. Yeah. He looks like a pirate. And we're looking at the imagery for Seventh Son. That's why. Yeah. So right. with his staff. You know, if you're listening along, go ahead and search up on your. <laughs> no, he literally <laughs> is like angry, drunken Gandalf in that movie. That's pretty yes. much yes. what he is. And that's 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 literally what his character is. Yeah. You know. It's like... See, now you're just I, selling I, me I, on I, this movie. <laughs> now I gotta see this. <laughs> It's like, really it good. really I'm, is I'm... like objectively awful, but it's so funny. It is so fun to watch. Like it's it's just one of those heckle movies, you know. <laughs> so, for me, I I did a little research after I wa- went back and watched the movies. I did a little research and I found out that John Favreau was the director of the movie, and I absolutely yes. love John Favreau. He is perfection, and mm. thank the gods for John Favreau and Dave Filoni. I don't know if you've ever heard me say that, but thank the gods for John Favreau and Dave Filoni. I can't say that enough. Um, but Tony Stark's arc, they took a C-level comic book character, Tony Stark, because no one ever heard of Iron Man. I'm Alright, I'll take that back, because I know that some nerds are out there like, Motherfucker, I did! I'm, but I'm one of those. I knew. I knew Iron Man. But yes, <laughs> I, I, I hear your point. They took. They <laughs> took. I, a I was the nerd who hadn't heard of him. Comic book character, uh-huh. and they made it into an A-list character with the work of Robert Downey Jr., John Favreau, and the beautiful writing in this movie because it's what America needed at that time. What was the year? 2008. What was going yes, on in yeah. 2008? In 2008, President Obama was running with the message of hope. He was our new hope. And I know I'm mixing the genres or mm-hmm. the franchises, but that's what we needed to see. We needed to see someone who was down and out and dirty and didn't give a shit about what was going on in the world, Tony Stark. Mm-hmm. And we needed to see him reborn in a cave which is classic metaphor for the womb. Mm-hmm. He goes into the cave, a Neanderthal, and he comes out caring about what was happening because he had been put through all of this stress. He had been uh, near death, and he had to literally change his heart. 
And that's where America was in 2008, because we had Bush in office. And I know we just got over Trump, and Trump was the worst ever. But that doesn't make Bush any better. Bush was a war criminal. I'm sorry. No, I'm not sorry. That's the truth. Bush was a war criminal. I remember protesting. I remember being arrested protesting because of Bush. Bush may have better qualities to him now, but when he was in office being Dick Cheney's puppet, it was a dark time in America's history. And we needed these superheroes that were created that came out at just the right time that gave us new light and new hope. And that's what Iron Man was. That is really what Iron Man wants, and that's why the whole franchise took off, is because the right person was directing it, telling the story. The right actor had the role. He, Robert Downey Jr., was a risk whenever it came to hiring him for this movie. Mel Gibson had to pay his insurance because no one would cover his insurance, and Robert Downey Jr. was not too long out of prison for drugs, which is stupid. And cardboard play. Yes. (laughs) But we got to see a real actor, a real man, go from being someone who is an ex-con, not really an ex-con, but uh, they came from prison, become a hero. Then we got to see him take a a hero that was this, not con man, but this nonchalant, apathetic asshole. Silver Spoon. (laughs) Yes, And turn him into someone that would actually make a difference. And actually cared about people that were not as privileged as him. So it came out at just the right time. And that's what Marvel means for me. It's this amazing journey that I've got to watch. And I'm sad that I didn't jump on the bus in 2008, but fucking Edward Norton messed that up for me. One thing that I love about Tony Stark, and you're right, that it is a very timely movie, is that the movie is a redemption arc, and it is a redemption arc that we needed. Of This is a man who has done nothing for most of his life, nothing but the past several years, but peddle and sell death to parts of the world that he doesn't go to. He never sees the impact of his weapons, he never saw the bodies, He never saw what was being done with his weapons, and frankly, he didn't care. He just built the bombs. He didn't care what preschool it was dropped on. And there was a naivete to him, too. Uh, He certainly believed that, in the long run, that, oh, we're helping America's interests. I'm doing this just like my father. And then, uh, just as the American populace had to face this as well, the consequences of our actions and see... Oh, right. We are actually being horrible over there. Tony Stark as well got to see firsthand exactly what his so-called patriotic attitude was doing. The benefits of his actions. Killing and meeting someone who was very much so much a victim of this that his plan for escape was a plan to die. Tony uh, had to rebuild himself, literally rebuild himself. From the heart out, from the heart to his second skin, the Iron Man suit, to become someone who would try and redeem their actions, um, would try and care about those that they'd hurt for so long, which 
was absolutely a fantastic direction for superheroes. He was the superhero we needed right then. And he was absolutely 100% brilliantly performed by Robert Downey Jr. You can make an argument over whether or not Robert Downey Jr. was the perfect actor for that character or whether or not that character then was adapted and transformed brilliantly by Robert Downey Jr. I think the answer is somewhere in the middle. It's both. Absolutely I, somewhere I agree in the middle. It's both. That movie 100% changed that character and put forward a character that we really needed and surprisingly resonated with. Especially surprising because at the beginning of the movie, Tony is a complete asshole. Just a complete 100% asshole. Mm-hmm. But, again, his conscience is forged in fire and in the cave, which, yes, is a metaphor for the womb. What I like is that he is still recognizably Tony at the end of the film. Um, He has a lot of the character defects and flaws that make him recognizably Tony Stark, but he is a better version of Tony Stark. And that's actually one thing I like about the MCU overall. We're going to cover that, but just... The transformation of these people from these very flawed places into better versions of themselves is one thing that I absolutely love seeing throughout the MCU. I agree with that, and I definitely agree with the thing about how he's still recognizably Tony Stark at the end of the movie. That was something that I kind of thought of last night when I was watching it again, which is that it would have felt disingenuous if he goes through this experience and has a completely different personality. He's still mm-hmm. the same sarcastic, snarky, kind of wise-ass that he is at the, at the beginning of the movie. It's just that he gives a shit. And he's had his mm-hmm. eyes opened in a way like that he just chose to do what a lot of us kind of do nowadays, which is kind of he buried his head in the sand and kind of ignored what was going on in the larger world and said, oh, you know... I just, I just make the weapons, I sell them, and what, what people do with them, that's not on me. Like, once it's out of my hands, then, you know, it's not my responsibility anymore, except he figures out, you know, he realizes that it is his responsibility. With just the, the shock to his system of seeing a missile land right next to him, and seeing the word Stark painted on the side of it. He literally has the pieces of one of his own bombs in his body. This is literally... The consequences of his own actions, of the things that he has done, which he has to carry inside of himself in a literal sense, which I've always loved the symbolism of of that. Robert Downey Jr., I know comic book movies until very recently have been largely ignored when it comes to like kind of major awards bodies and stuff like that. I have always said that I think that he could have and should have been nominated for an Oscar for this movie. I've, I've, I honestly believe that. I think I that there is a scene, one of my favorite scenes in the movie, and it's actually a fairly understated scene. Like, it's not a big, it's not a big action sequence. It's not a big comedy scene. It's just a scene where he's in his garage and he's talking to Pepper. And he has this line, I'm going to kind of paraphrase, but he has this line where he says something like, you've stood b- beside me for years while I reap the benefits from destruction. And now that I'm trying to do something right, you walk out on me. And he says, I just know for the first time in my life what I have to do. And I know in my heart that it's right. That scene, his delivery on that is just so perfect because it's so genuine. It's one of those lines that easily could have just been mishandled. It could have been cheesy. It could have been over the top. He just so plainly states that. For the absolute first time in my life, I know that what I'm doing is the right thing. I just love so much about his overall character journey over the course of this movie. 
But even in the beginning, when he is, I agree with you, he is a complete asshole in the beginning, Zach. But he's still strangely charismatic and likable, which makes you, makes you kind of conflicted oh, yeah. at the beginning of the movie, you know? Well, charisma and likability are not, to, not together at all. The thing is, is he was George Bush. He was W in the beginning. But there's this weird mix between, like, kind of hating him, but also kind of wanting to be him, which kind of happens, especially, like, I mean, the whole thing, when when you see the reveal of his house for the first time, and you see where this guy lives, this beautiful Art Deco house on the side of a cliff in, in California... It's like, man, I want to live there. I want to be this guy, except not really, because, you know, I won't be yeah. able to sleep at night, but I kind of do, but I, you know, it's, it's the, but even the fact that he amassed his fortune, um, from selling these weapons and reaping the benefits of destruction. And it's that same money that he uses to later become a hero. So he couldn't have become a hero if he wasn't that guy before, which, so it's, it's, there's a lot of complexity to it. And I've always appreciated that. All right. Uh, next topic is, uh, what's that? Jensen? Yeah. Jensen is the guy, for those of you who don't remember the names, like Jensen is the guy in the cave towards the beginning of the movie who saves Tony's life and then helps him build the Iron Man suit. This character is really in the movie for a very short length of time. Like, he's mm-hmm. only in really, like, maybe, and this is generous, he's maybe in 20 minutes of the movie. He makes such an impression. He is the integral ingredient in Tony's redemption arc. He's the mm-hmm. character that really makes Tony realize, and Tony was already kind of realizing it when he saw the, the bomb with Stark on the side of it, but he's the character who really just wakes Tony up for the first time and makes him realize what what he has to do. The fact that he has kind of been worse than wasting his life, you know, he's been wasting his life, but he's also been contributing towards innocent people dying. He is so, uh, Sean Tube, I believe, is the actor who plays him, does such a good job. And again, even as an audience member, knowing him for such a short length of time, he's so charming, he's so intelligent, he's so funny, you know, in this very kind of dry way, which I love, but even though we know him for such a short time, his death scene always gets me. He has such a, a heartbreaking death scene of like like you kind of alluded to earlier, Zach. Like his escape plan was always to die. The only thing that he decided that he wanted to do at the end was I'm gonna I'm gonna save Tony, and then that's gonna be it for me. That's gonna be my my last. That's gonna be my one act of heroism, and mm-hmm. then I can die. His last hurrah. But then, but it's mm-hmm. not it's not even about saving Tony's life. It's about saving Tony's soul. It's yes. about mm-hmm. telling him don't waste it don't waste your yes. life that those are those are his yeah. last words and tony says thank you for saving me it's not just yeah. thank you for saving mm. my life it's thank you for saving my my soul my existence mm. exactly his his legacy because mm. jensen knew that if he could turn tony and make him open his eyes that not only mm. would he be able to right the wrongs that he's seen in his life but he could write so many mm. more he turns mm-hmm. he turns this universe around by saving one person. I've always I've always loved Jensen, and what I love especially is the realization that his family was probably killed by Stark weapons. Um, they were certainly killed by the Ten Rings. This man has every reason to hate Tony Stark with every fiber of his being, and maybe he does. But Jensen is a doctor. Not just a brilliant medical doctor um, who saves Tony's life, but at no point in the movie does Yinsen try to hurt anyone. 
Um, even the scene where he takes a gun and he chases after the terrorists, he's firing it in the air. He's not trying to shoot anyone. He's not trying to attack anyone. Um, he is simply making noise and buying time. Yinsen, in Saving Tony, this is an attempt, one final attempt, one final act to put some good in the world the way he knows how. Not by killing people, not by destroying anyone, but by kindness and patience and healing. Because that is what Yinsen believes is needed. That is how Yinsen has always lived his life. And that is his revenge, his redemption for Tony's life is through healing, through saving, as you said, the soul of Tony Stark. If he can turn Tony Stark, this apathetic, careless man whose actions and whose weapons result in the death of all that he loved, if he can turn him to do some good in the world, to not waste his life, that is Yinsen's way of uh, giving back. I strongly feel it, like, Yinsen does have a relatively short time in this movie, but um, one thing I've always loved is that... His impact, his words with Tony, uh, not wasting his life. Just just that last line, don't waste it, don't waste your life. That is felt through every single MCU film featuring Iron Man. Every single part of Tony Stark. Like, Tony definitely has his own life, he's his own person, but you know that in a way, there's always in the back of his mind the realization that this is not just his life. This is time borrowed, time given by Yinsen. And that's time that he has to spend doing more, being better. Again, such a short time in the movie, but the performance um, by Sean Tube, the writing on this character is so amazing. And if Yinsen, if, I firmly believe that if Yinsen was handled wrong in any way, uh, this movie would not have worked. Even with Robert Downey Jr., even with the rest of the cast. If Yinsen was not pulled off as well as he was in this movie, it would not have worked out. But... Again, the the writing and the performance by Sean Tube, that last interaction with Yinsen's death was heartbreaking and beautiful and so well done. I completely agree on your sentiments of Yinsen. Yinsen is the heart of Iron Man and ultimately becomes the heart of the MCU universe. I made a note when I was watching it yesterday about how when he's running out, he's firing above their heads. He knows they're going to kill him. But he doesn't care. He refuses to go to the afterlife with murder on his hands. It's one of the most beautiful moments I've ever seen. And I didn't notice it until last night, actually, that he was firing up into the air. Yinsen is an intelligent man, too. I mean, he, he may be mad at Tony Stark for Stark weapons, but they're, they're just going to get guns from somewhere else. It, the, the war, mm. that battle over there, that, that whole area is in turmoil. It's inner turmoil, it's external, you know, people butting in and, and helping. But I think he's a logical man. I think he thinks on the side of logic. And he knows it's not necessarily Tony Stark's fault. Yeah, he created it, but the monster was already there. The, the technology, whatever, the weaponry and all that stuff. Just I with think, keeping what you said. That's I it. think an important part of Yinsen is that Yinsen had to be Middle Eastern. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. that he had to be Middle Eastern because we already had all these stereotypical uh, Middle Eastern villains in this film. And I think that they had to show that not all Middle Easterns are this. It, again, we're coming out of this Bush era where everybody has made 
anybody from the Middle East seem like a terrorist. Mm -hmm. And I think making Jensen this character that came out that's loving and that believes in peace above everything, I think that that was absolutely key because then you just have the white people against Middle Easterners. I completely agree. I think that if this movie were handled not as well as it had been, I think that even if this were a fun movie, I think that there's a version of this movie that easily could have continued to play into a kind of a post 9-11 Islamophobia kind of demonization of, of Middle Eastern people. Because yes, there are a lot... I also think it helps a little bit the fact that they made the, the Ten Rings organization. They established that they're they're multicultural and they come from a bunch of different places, but they're they're still for the most part represented by like evil brown people. Um, yes. So the fact that the fact that Yinsen, you're right, the fact that he's Middle Eastern, I think was actually really important. It's well, also too the fight is not with Middle East; it's with Stark. Mm-hmm. He fight uh, uh, Tony Stark is fighting himself pretty much, or at least the people who make the decisions for his company. It's an internal issue. And the Middle Eastern thing uh, is still a problem in L.A. Mm-hmm. It's still a problem in L.A. casting because we just made um, horror anthology Demon Chalice, and one of the shorts in there we were we had someone that was of Middle Eastern descent, and you could tell. And he had he has a beard, and that's the way he usually goes. And I looked at his demo reel what he auditioned for i looked at his demo reel and it's full of these typical middle eastern characters soldiers and the character that he was auditioning for with us was this frat boy like Mm -hmm. righteous dude Mm -hmm. and with all the hazing the whole shebang yeah and uh, we we gave him the audition and he blew us away and one of the parts that made me decide to cast him over any of the other actors is because he was Middle Eastern and because it breaks that that tradition that they're doing in Hollywood that the only time we'll get the race right or the only time we'll show diversity is if uh, another race is the villain. Mm-hmm. I looked at his demo reel and I got pissed off. I remember when we were casting that it pissed me off, and I was like, fuck this shit. Well, he killed it in the audition, too. He did. When he read the lines, he did more in the audition. It was like it was like he was in the room with you. Yeah. It, it just, he did really, really good. I actually, I want to give a shout out to, uh, I, I just looked up his name, it's Farron Tahir, who mm-hmm. played the uh, the mm-hmm. main kind of bad Middle Eastern guy in this movie. Raza. I love mm-hmm. the fact, so we just touched on Star Trek last week. He also played the original captain of the USS Kelvin at the very beginning oh. of Star Trek, mm-hmm. which I was really happy to see him for that. The reasons you're talking about, I was really happy to see him in that role in Star Trek where, yes, okay, in Iron Man, he had to play the Middle Eastern bad guy, but then in Star Trek, he plays this really heroic Starfleet captain at the very beginning yes. of the movie. Mm-hmm. It's like, yes, good for you, dude. He's, he's an intelligent, brave, you know, selfless captain. Absolutely. Yes. Well, light your vagina-scented candles, because we're <laughs> going to be talking about Pepper Potts <laughs> and Gwyneth Paltrow. Uh, despite the fact that many people can apparently uh, smell her wahoos shortly before they explode in her face, which... I don't know. Maybe Gwyneth Paltrow needs to get that looked at. That that doesn't sound like a particularly uh, healthy situation down under. But um, 
before she started selling her exploding uh, vagina candles. Who's um, vagina? Jesus. Yeah, before before you got yeah okay. Yeah. What is this? Is this reference? Is this literally like she had a you know a, a, an issue baking bread or no, something? No, no. What like, if Paltrow made a scented candle that's scented like her vagina? Apparently. And these oh, candles okay. have recently come under fire for exploding. Under uh, fire. We do mean this in the literal sense that she has her literal exploding vagina candles. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, before that, all I really knew of her was films like Iron Man. And uh, I, I actually like her chemistry with Tony. I like how they have... I, I do find it very weird that they have a bit of... There's, there's definitely a power imbalance between Tony and Pepper. Because he is her boss. And, you know, it doesn't seem like they have the best boundaries. But I do like that they are genuinely be very awkward with one another. They, uh, She is the one person who will frequently call Tony on his ship. And uh, give give as good as she gets. But in general, I, I, like, I like their relationship a bit. There is kind of the token girlfriend feeling in the movie somewhat that no it's it's whatever but she's played well enough and it it helps that you know she is a character who is you know proactive in helping out and she is tony's human connection even before uh yinsen she is the one person that tony connects to in his life so you you can you definitely see the romantic connection before that yeah so she she's she's fine enough but um still has a bit of an issue um the I don't like that power imbalance at all. The fact that, yeah, she's devoted to him, washes his clothes, does all that, and he barely shows appreciation, which is part of which is part of Tony's like general life defects is that he's very bad at showing appreciation or being a generous human being in any way. But, you know, that's that's something he works on eventually. Yeah, but I, I do like their relationship as it grows, um, as she comes more to her own, as that power imbalances. Uh, rectified over time but yeah in this movie i do remember that that rankled me quite a bit even the first time and still never sits right with me exactly on rewatch that's interesting i i never i never really felt that way about their power imbalance to be honest like my my thing about it is okay the whole thing about the token girlfriend thing i feel that way about a lot of love interests in a lot of superhero movies to me pepper Potts is essential because she's the one character that Tony can be really vulnerable with. And it's important to see that side of him as we go through his overall character arc. Because the only two people that Tony is really close to are Pepper and Rhodey. And even Rhodey, I think there's still kind of that kind of that sort of like bro relationship where it's like, oh, you know, we, we're still we still have to be manly, manly men with each other. We can't, like, you know, express our feelings or whatever. Tony is still closed off more so in this first movie, but again, that's kind of more something that he works on throughout this series, and that that's, you know, actually kind of a stated character defect, I feel. But, like, Pepper is somebody that he can be vulnerable with, you know? And as he kind of says, like, in the scene where um, he's asking her to take the, uh, to change the, 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 the reactor, to, to the old one to the new one, when she has to come into his lab, like, he kind of states at the end of this scene, at that scene, like, you're kind of all I got. Yes, she works for him, but you could tell, like, even from the very beginning of the movie, regardless of her opinion of certain aspects of him, like, these are two people who care very deeply for each other. 
even from the beginning of the movie. I, I have always felt that way anyway. And I, I think their relationship and their chemistry feels very real and very authentic. And I really, really like their overall relationship in this movie and, and in the other movies. And the, I can see where you're coming from with the power imbalance thing. Like, I think on paper, it could be a problem. But I, I don't think that the way it's executed, I, I don't... It, it doesn't bother me in, in the slightest. The character, for the most part, I enjoy. Because the character is written to call out those imbalances in Tony. Uh, I absolutely agree with you, Zach, in the sense that there is an imbalance. And I think what happens when you make her get with Tony is that you're saying that it's okay that the man has a lot more power than her in the relationship. So, I think that you can tell that this was written by a man. But them putting Tony with Pepper Potts is one of the worst ideas in all of the uh, Marvel movies. And yes, I'm including Thor with Jane. Because Pepper Potts and Tony were never together in the comics. It was Pepper Potts and Happy that got together. Were they? Were they happy? I guess they were. <laughs> so, I, I'm actually aware of that, yeah. Yeah, I I think that in that sense that they should have never put Pepper Potts with Tony because it goes back to can't a woman and a man work together and be real partners without fucking? The movie says no. Just gonna say it. Yeah. Just gonna say it. Okay. But then you take Pepper Potts and you hire... Have y'all ever went to a restaurant... And got the blandest food you have ever eaten in your life. Like you get potatoes without salt on them. And there is no kind of oregano or basil in your marinara sauce. It's just or pepper. straight up. To, or pepper. Or pepper. And that's what Gwyneth Paltrow is to me. She's sweet. She's nice. She is confident. But an actor, she is not. I know she has, what, 30 years of a career that disagrees with what I just said. I know that she has been doing this for a very long time. And her mother, Blythe Danner, is an amazing actress. But none of that talent mutated into Gwyneth Paltrow. Mm. Gwyneth Paltrow gets the blandest of bland roles and she does well with them. Pepper Potts is not a bland role, and she plays her in the most bland way. Now, here's your drinking game for this podcast, for this episode. Every time I say bland, take a shot of tequila. <laughs> I, I really do not like Gwyneth Paltrow as an actress, and I hate to be that way because I know she's a sweet human being. I know she comes up with these great ideas. If she wanted to be the next Martha Stewart, she could totally do that. She could totally do that. She's a fucking genius. But an actor, I avoid movies because she's in them. That's why I didn't watch Iron Man. That's the whole reason why I didn't watch Iron Man. Because I hated Edward Norton, and I thought that was shit. And then I saw that Gwyneth Paltrow was in this movie, and I was like, fuck that. I think she did a decent job. Um, the interaction, only because she doesn't really have a lot of herself screen time. It's always shared. But their interaction when she's helping Tony replace his Mach 1 with the whatever, the next version, 
I thought that felt very comfortable. Uh, not comfortable, but like they, they had good chemistry and good read off of each other on that scene in particular. She's known for rom-coms. That's what she's always done. Which is why that worked out because it yes. was a romantic thing. Oh, change my heart, my love. Mm-hmm. Hold on, I have to go get some salt. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and, and you're absolutely right. She is sweet in this movie. I think this is probably her best performance of her life. I Okay, her as an actor overall... I neither like her nor dislike her. I think she's fine. I really like her as Pepper. I've always really liked her as Pepper, personally. And I think that she has great chemistry with, with Downey. And and even just, just the character herself, I mean, even shifting away from, from Paltrow, like, the character herself, like, one of the most endearing moments of Pepper for me is not even a moment that she appears on screen in, but it's when Tony finds the old arc reactor that she left him with the 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 writing on it proof that tony stark has a heart moments like that are why pepper needed to be in this movie pepper oh i absolutely agree pepper was a hundred percent essential because she like especially after yinsen dies like she is the heart of the movie to me she is absolutely absolutely she is absolutely the emotional core and the emotional heart of this movie she is not a token girlfriend to me and honestly, like in, in, in that moment where she makes that inscription, you can see how much she cares about Tony. As much as Tony drives her insane, you can see how much she genuinely cares about Tony. But I think another actress could have been able to portray that a lot better. I thought she was great, but... <laughs> <laughs> well, what's the other actor? Uh, any other actor. Uh, any actor. Give me any Edward actor Norton? that could play Pepper Potts. Oh, Kristen Stewart. Kristen Stewart, <laughs> go for it. Kristen Stewart is a fucking badass now, and uh, I gotta I do, give I her that. She doesn't like doing anything she's doing. She's just kind of like, you want me to replace this do you battery? Know, do you know who oh I personally would have would have cast as Pepper Potts? Elizabeth mm-hmm. Banks. I would have. Oh, cast she would have been good. Actually, she would have would been banked good. on her. I would have banked. Yeah, on she would have been good. Yeah, I would have banked on that. <laughs> just my thought I and I hate to give a bad review I hate to say something like that about the actress like I said I know she's a genius she's a very she's a very intelligent woman she is if you read any of her books and I have read some of her books just because I didn't like her acting and I was like there's got to be something about her that I like and she's a motherfucking <laughs> genius and and who would think to to market a candle that smells like their vagina a genius! A baker. A baker, yes. I kind of feel the exact opposite of you, Troy. Like, I, I like her as Pepper Potts. I kind of don't like her as a person. Well, there's nothing wrong with her as a person. She just doesn't live in the real world. I feel like she just, she just, uh, whatever. <laughs> I always get the sense, it's like, I, I, I don't know what planet you're living on, woman, but you do not live on Earth. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was fucking, when I read the story about the, the vagina-scented candles, I was like, I wasn't grossed out or anything. I, I didn't buy one. But I was like, that's fucking genius. Oh my God. <laughs> if you say so. If you say yeah. so. <laughs> let's uh let's let's move on. Let's move on to the next one. It's getting yeah. a little salty in here. Let's move on to uh Rody. I really like Rody in this movie. He's played by played for the first and only time by Terrence Howard. Yeah. Uh, would be later recast. Mm-hmm. Terrence Howard, I really like him as Rody. I hate him as a human being, but that has nothing to do with his acting. He has good chemistry with Robert Downey yes. as well. Like I, 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 I think he, he, 
Yeah, I think that they have a really good dynamic where, like, the scene, like, when they're on the, when Tony first shows up at the the, the private jet, when, you know, three hours late, Rhodey's like, three hours, you've had me standing there. Then they have this, like, salty conversation on the plane, then it cuts to them drunk on sake, and Rhodey's like, listen, I see every other man in that uniform got my back, and they pull out, there's like, the flight attendants are all strippers for some reason, it's like, it's, it's just, like, just those scenes, like, I just love, you know, just the back and forth between them, and I think that, again, it was important that we had characters that have a connection with Tony that have some kind like, you know, I think like, uh, you know, Pepper kind of brings out a lot of the warmth in Tony. Rhodey is kind of the, 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 the character that Tony gets to like ball bust with, you know, he's, he's like kind of the positive outlet for his wise cracks and his, you know, wise, wise assery. And I do think that they did a pretty good job, you know, with, with the, the, the writing and portrayal of this character. And I, and I love the, foreshadowing of Rhodey looking at the the previous version of the Iron Man suit he thinks about putting the suit on then says next time baby I love I always love that <laughs> not for Terrence Howard exactly <laughs> I think that Howard did a pretty good job as Rhodey I think that he and RDJ had a lot of good chemistry I prefer Don Cheadle but I prefer Don Cheadle as an actor because Don Cheadle I agree with that is fucking amazing and can do anything. I don't know how Terrence Howard is in life. I've heard stories, but you can't go off of those because the stories about him and RDJ fighting behind scene, not true. They were all made up. I uh, researched a little bit about why he left. And the reason why he left the project is because they wanted him to take a pay cut from doing a sequel. Now, RDJ, his his people asked for a raise going into this uh, uh, Iron Man 2. Now, he was paid $500,000 for playing Tony Stark the first time. And with residuals and everything, he ended up making $2.5 million. That's why it's great to be in the union. But whenever you ask an actor to go into the sequel, you don't ask them to take a pay cut. Nope. I don't care how much the actor was paid in the first one. You don't ask someone to come back for a sequel and offer them less money. No. Who the fuck do you think mm. you are? It's shady, and the only reason I think they did it was to push him out. I think so, too. To get him out. And mm. I would have liked to have seen him in the next one because I... You, you, it's like when you're doing the first few scenes when you're shooting a movie. Sometimes the first one sucks. Mm-hmm. Second one sometimes sucks less. And then you get a slapper. And I feel like he would have really gotten a chance to really feel that character out had he worked on two yeah. and three. But, I mm-hmm. mean, Don Cheadle did a good job. He did. I've always said that as far as Terrence Howard versus Don Cheadle, it's really not a fair comparison because we have one movie with Terrence Howard and a lot of movies with Don Cheadle. We have a exactly. lot more of an example of Don Cheadle's Rhodey mm-hmm. where he's he's been way more cemented in our heads as Rhodey than, than Terrence Howard, so it's almost not a fair comparison. I definitely agree that they gave him a pay cut to push him out because I think, okay, if you want reason to hate Terrence Howard, look and uh, research some of the uh, allegations of domestic violence. Uh, because he's had several oh. ex-wives. He's had, se- and I think he actually mm-hmm. admitted to hitting his first wife at one point. That's the mm-hmm. reason I hate Terrence Howard. And I think that that would have been a really bad look for Disney if they had kept him in the movies. I think that he was probably under contract, and so they had to offer him less money with the hopes that he would 
leave on his just own. Just back out on his own accord? Yeah. I mean, oh, I yeah. It was, it was about the same time. It was yeah. about the same time. A lot mm-hmm. of this, I just looked it up, and the timelines are about the same line. So Disney trying to get out of their contract, or Marvel trying to get out of their contract, offered him less money because they knew he would back out, and then they could offer it to Don Cheadle. Don Cheadle had two hours to accept this job. So he yeah. couldn't research much at that time. They went to him, Don, you want this movie? You got two hours, let me know. So I do know that Terrence Howard doesn't blame Don Cheadle and that he and RDJ now are are friends. And when Robert Downey Jr. was asked about what happened with Terrence Howard and if he had anything to do with it, he said, I will tell you, I had nothing to do with it, but I'm not going to comment on it further than that because I don't know what happened because I haven't talked to Terrence and I'm not going to talk about something that I don't know anything about. So I think you're probably right, Sam, because there is a lot of things that's dated around about that time for that. And then there's other things that come up in 2017 with Empire. I think you're absolutely right that they were worried about it because that's what they did with Johnny Depp. Even though it's been proven that Johnny Depp was not violent with Amber Heard, they still pushed him out. Yep. Safety. Assholes. Yeah. Yeah, well. (laughs) Yeah. Corporate. Yeah, I I like Rhodey in this movie. It's I almost feel like every movie should stand on its own, but it is relatively little time um, to get a hold of who Rhodey is. Rhodey's an interesting character in this movie because he becomes you know practically Tony's brother over the course of the rest of the series. You know, for all intents and purposes. He is family. You know, he is the closest man to Tony in his life. In in this movie, there is an interesting sort of distance between them, where, at least at the beginning, there's a strong feeling that Tony's not entirely certain if Rhodey is there for him as a person because of who he is, or if it is just a connection between him and the job. Um, especially there's a scene early on where they Tony tries to talk to Rhodey about Iron Man. He tries to tell him about Iron Man, you know, tries to bring him in on the project, partially because he needs a pilot's expertise on, uh, you know, his uh, new aircraft there. And when he says that it's not going to be about weapons manufacturing, you know, Rhodey shuts him down. So there, there's kind of an interesting distance where they do grow closer over the course of the film. It's, it's kind of an isolating moment for Tony, I think. And one of the reasons that you mentioned Pepper is so important is that Tony does not have many people in his life, and he's not even certain of the very few people who are in his life who do enter his bubble. He's not certain how close or how genuine that affection really is. It's definitely true of Stain, for sure. Definitely true of Stain, and I think to a degree true of Rhodey, although Rhodey does prove himself uh, a truer friend. You know, much more worthy of trust at that point. But no, so it's, it's an interesting distance, and it's an interesting introduction. Um, I, I kind of like who Rhodey is. He's you know, very much a upstanding, very self-serious man, who nonetheless is also one of the few people to be able to take Tony's wisecracks really nicely and uh, able to give it back a little bit. Yeah, so what I'll say is I like him's performance in this movie. Partially because of the allegations, and also partially because uh, not just in this movie, but just in general, from... Movies I've seen with Don Cheadle and movies I've seen with Terrence Howard, I actually do like John Don Cheadle better, just as an actor. I think Don Cheadle has more range than Terrence Howard. I think Terrence Howard tends to play Terrence yeah. Howard in pretty much all the movies he's in. Yeah. I think Don che- I think they're both talented, but Don Cheadle can play like vastly different types of characters, whereas Terrence Howard is always just kind of Terrence Howard. 
I think it's unfair to compare them because one is a theater trained actor and one is not. So you have one that's mostly done film and then you have one that's mostly done theater. Well, that started out in theater. Working out here, I can tell the difference when I'm working with a classically trained actor as opposed to when I'm working with someone that just graduated from the Stella Adler Institute, which I attended when I first got out here. And I see the difference. So I think it's unfair to to really compare I can almost apples tell and oranges. the difference as well. I can yeah. almost. I'm, I'm getting there. I'm getting pretty good well, at Well, it's like I always tell. say there's a difference between an actor and a movie star. I feel Don Cheadle is an yes. actor and Terrence Howard is a movie star. That's how yes. I always kind of have I like that it. analogy. I like that. Yeah. I think that's a good the way that's analogy. Going. All right. So mm-hmm. we want to talk about Stain. Stain. Obadiah. Jeff Bridges. You can see it? I thought I got it out. I'm glad you said Obadiah because I was thinking about Monica Lewinsky's dress. Oh, my God. <laughs> I love Stain in this movie. So there's there's a very weird thing that happens, still happens occasionally in superhero films. We talked a little, about that, a little bit about this when we were discussing Wonder Woman 1984. There's, for me, like this weird disconnect between Stain through 98% of this film and then Stain in that last fight scene. I absolutely love Jeff Bridges' version of this character. He is absolutely a charismatic, slimy businessman who is just completely two-faced. I also love that, in a way, he's very similar to Tony um, personality-wise, um, which, which Jeff Bridges plays beautifully. They could not have picked a better actor for to be the older um, reflection of Tony in this film. It's what Tony may have turned into if he had continued on his path. He would have turned into Sane. Absolutely. He he could have grown up to be exactly like Stain, men- mentored by Stain. He was a absolutely selfish, absolutely corrupt man. And the interesting thing I find about Stain is that his big plan isn't, oh, I'm going to destroy anyone. Oh, I'm going to take over and do something. His big plan is to stay exactly where he is in the movie because... He's already living the life that he wants to, except he would like to be in charge of the company over Tony. But he's already, for the most part, living the life he wants to. He makes weapons, he sells them, he gets rich off the profits. He doesn't particularly care what happens in any part of the world. He does not care what happens to those weapons. The only thing he knows is that he wants war to continue because that is going to bolster his profits. And at the beginning of the movie, he's doesn't need to change anything. He's not trying to cause a war. There is already a war. America's been in for years. He's been profiting off of it this whole time. And Sam, you're absolutely right. He is He is definitely who uh, Tony could have um, become one day. But I, I love his chemistry with uh, RDJ, with all the characters. He's got this sort of, you know, easiness. You know, he's, he's the guy that, you know, motors in on a Segway after Tony. I love the image of him coming in on a Segway with a big, like, cigar in his mouth. Like, oh, just like... <laughs> <laughs> No, that's that's just his beautiful, beautiful shot. I love how he is a businessman, but he is not in any way like a scientist himself. He knows how to sell the weapons. He knows how to do it. He doesn't understand a goddamn thing about the Iron Man armor whatsoever, or the Iron Monger armor that he ends up piloting in the end. He doesn't know anything about it. He, he's more or less figuring out how to pilot the whole thing. He knows how to pick up a gun and shoot it, but... Has, has no care for it. There is one thing that he does understand about the Iron Man armor, and that's this. It's the fact that Tony Stark built this in a cave with a box <laughs> of scraps! 
That's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. I, I love that line. And then there's kind of a disconnect, which could have been an issue if it wasn't for the rest of the movie being so strong and, you know, the actual ending being so strong, which is that climax fight scene, John Monger, he turns into a comic book supervillain. He, he's throwing puns and trucks around while tossing uh, Iron Man side to side. I kind of get it. In that he is, you know, in the armor and he's kind of seeing how intoxicating it is to be able to use it. He's not thinking at all about the fact that, of course, the police are going to want to do something about a man piloting a nine-foot suit of armor. That his company would be shut down by the government at some point. But then, again, that's part of not seeing the vision. He's in the armor. He's feeling invincible like a god. Um, He thinks of it as, uh, you know, the ultimate weapon. So it's like, who's going to stab me? And again, he just doesn't think it through while Tony is methodically dismantling the armor around him. Um, You know, methodically taking out weapons, uh, using the fact that it doesn't have uh, any sort of ice shielding against it, taking out the cameras. You know, Tony's thinking it through is always building in his mind, even in the fight scene. But Stane is just pushing his agenda in this big, hunky, overly designed suit. It's old school formula. You could compare uh, Obadiah Stane to even the name Obadiah is old fashioned. And you Mm -hmm. think of like biblical villains and stuff like that. It's that way that that it's done. Stane is your old fashioned corporate villain. And that's what they fought in the sixties. Mm. Sci-fi and, and fantasy movies came along and it was these corporate values. And I say that with quotation marks in the air. Mm-hmm. Because uh, corporations mm-hmm. have no value and corporate people have no value because they shed them because they can't afford to get fired. Or they don't want to get fired and they love their power. And that's what Stain represents. He's Dick Cheney, you know? I'll shoot you in the face Mm -hmm. if you get in my way. And that's exactly what he does to Tony Stark. He comes in and he is ready to tear him down. He thinks that he has the ability to get rid of him so that the company is all his and Tony Stark has no say-so in it. And you are absolutely right. He gets power hungry. He gets power drunk. He gets into that suit and he realizes that he can rule the world. And he has no forethought of what's going to happen after this fight is over and done with. What's going to happen to Tony? What's going to happen to him? What's going to happen when the police come in there? What's going to happen when S.H.I.E.L.D. comes in there and fries their ass? One thing that's hilarious to me about Stain is that, you know, Tony builds this, like, skin-tight, form-fitting armor that's just him. Like, everything that he does is, like, directly controlling the armor. It's his suit that he's wearing. And then Stane decides, oh, my version of this is going to be a Gundam. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Like, he builds this giant... It's a mech suit. It's a big mech suit. Yeah. You know? (laughs) Tony's armor is actually better than Stane's armor. Tony is losing Mm -hmm. the fight... In large part because he's having to use a chess piece with a lot lower power is is kind of the main reason. I, I mm-hmm. honestly believe that Tony's armor is way better than Stane's armor. It's faster, it's more maneuverable, it has more gadgets. Mm-hmm. But, like, Stane is just, like, he mm-hmm. just has this mentality of, I'm just going to make it bigger and scarier. Like, I've even got to do this thing where, like, my voice gets changed. It's like, it gets all scary and Darth Vader voice while, while I'm talking through it. You know? <laughs> and, yeah, it's like, it is, mm-hmm. it always be kind of hilarious to be all, all of a sudden he's doing these, like, super villain puns. It's like, 
for for 20 years I've been holding you up as he holds up. <laughs> it was like, yes. oh my god, it's like that's such a uh, it's such a bad like James Bond villain pun. It really is like, but I love it's it. Beautiful. I mean, it's, it's it gets beautiful. a little campy towards the end, but I think that they earned a little bit of camp, you know. And and it's it, the movie as a whole doesn't actually have as much action as you might expect it to. It has a few like notable action mm-hmm. sequences, but. I feel like they kind of earned just a big bombastic over the top super battle at the end of this movie. I love Stain. I think it's really well played by Jeff Bridges, and I think he does have really good chemistry with Robert Downey Jr. There's a moment that always cracks me up where after Stain has brought pizza back from New York from a board of directors meeting, is like, oh, why don't I take a look at the reactor? Like, to, like uh, Tony just is going downstairs, is like, nope, this stays with me. And Obadiah like takes the pizza box, and says, well, that this stays with me. And then he like he takes a beat, then he opens the box. I was like, no, no, here, have a piece. And Tony is like, he grabs. I was like, thank you. I don't know. Like that moment just always cracks me up. Just, just like, especially I'm because it, certain it, that was improv. That it felt like an improv. So like it really Jeff does Bridges. feel like an improv. It feels like Jeff Bridges. Like maybe even the well that this stays with me. Maybe that was in the scripts, but it feels like the opening the pizza box. Oh, here, take a piece. That feels like an improv. You know? <laughs> we were actually talking about that earlier. Yeah, I yeah. Same way. yeah we yeah. thought that was improv. So one por- a portion of it was improv somewhere, whether it was the pizza in itself or, or taking a slice, keeping it for himself, whatever it was, something of that. I feel like the pizza had improv. to have been scripted since it was it was on the set. You know, they had a pizza box with pizza, so that yeah. might, unless they just spontaneously ordered a pizza while, while they were on the day. But well, Robert Downey Jr. always keeps snacks on set, so that when no, he, he walks does. Around, That's true. He can pick them up. You think he, you think he was hiding an entire extra large pizza? <laughs> I think well, only that the pizza, I think that the pizza was to show you what happened with how Obadiah's relationship was with with Tony Stark. I think it's okay, I'm Obadiah and I have all the power and I have this corporation, but here you go, you can have a little piece. All right, you take one slice and you go that way and you stay there and this is the way our relationship works. This is mine. I, I really do think that that's why they did that part. I actually agree. I think that that's good insight. Mm. If it was improv, it's beautiful mm. metaphor. I'm just glad that the dude got his shit together and became <laughs> a big leader in this company. I'm... He became the corporations that the dude was always railing against, though. Yeah. <laughs> you think hey, about that. Yeah. It's like the dude would hate Obadiah Stane. He would absolutely <laughs> abhor him. Oh, oh. <laughs> the dude does not abide. He does not abide by Obadiah Stane. No. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> Because he's a suit. No. The dude hates suits. He hates them. <laughs> Since we're on the subject, we are we're ready to go into the next one, the battle between them. It's just a fun, like, CGI fest battle. I also sure. love the fact, it's very brief, but it even ends after they overload the reactor. There's, like, a few seconds of the sky beam that's, for some reason, in every single superhero movie climax. <laughs> just, just this beam of yeah. light that shoots into the sky that's just in every single superhero movie. I don't know why it always is, but it's, it makes a brief cameo at the end of this movie. No, it's a yeah. fun, we, we touched on it already. It's a fun fight. Yep. It is a yeah. fun fight. No, it's, 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 fun. it's very metaphorical and it's beautifully executed because of I'm, I've carried you all this time and he's toting him and because he's throwing the stuff and as he's throwing these stuff, they're using that old school formula of writing and filmmaking of where I'm going to say it, but I'm going to show you at the same time. And yeah. I think that that is gorgeous. 
showing the metaphor, it just reinforces great execution in a project. I want to discuss something you mentioned about the action scenes, about about earning a big battle. So one thing I genuinely love about this movie is how much time is spent on Tony just building Iron Man. Figuring out the issues with it, spending time in the lab, working out, okay, I want to fly with my rocket boots. That sends me into a wall flying. So I need to stop myself from hitting the wall flying so I make the hand thing. That's great. I find out the hand things can also become lasers if you use them wrong. Or if you use them right. Exactly. Yeah, I I just love how much thought, um, mistakes, circumstances end up in the final Iron Man suit. Like a bunch of things that were just minor accidents or things he found out through trial and error end up as the tools of Iron Man. So Iron Man in the end is not just what Stain thought it was, which is I'm making a big, bad, weaponized suit. It is Tony's genius. It's his thoughtfulness, his endless creativity in a shell around himself that, you know, lets him literally fly and propel himself forward, propel himself upward to be a better version of himself, this kind of uh, flying hot rod man. And yeah, there are, there are very few action scenes in this movie, I think. Yeah, after, after Tony gets back from the first action scene, the first scene where he makes the original Iron Man scene, pretty much one of the very few action scenes that you have is him going to save the village, which I think is actually uh, named is a, that's Yinsen's village, I think. Yes, actually, it is. Gomera. It is definitely Yinsen's village. The people he's saving are also Muslim and Middle Eastern in this town, which which I always liked. So yeah, you have that big action scene, you have, and then pretty much just that end fight. So yeah, the movie really did spend a lot of time earning and building up to see, okay, what is this suit going to be? And in those two scenes, you really get to see the full measure of it. It's like, okay, this suit is really earned being this impressive, this unstoppable. Well, I love the the surprises that we find out about the suit. The the, the scene that you mentioned, Zag, of where he's uh, saving mm-hmm. the one village, he's saving the villagers. That scene, which I've always loved, this moment where the terrorists all grab human shields and he powers down his Mm. repulsor beams and then you see in his heads-up display targeting each of the uh the the individual terrorists and then these these shoulder things come up where just these bullets come out and just just immediately kill them it's such a cool moment i think i always found it interesting that in the mcu iron man is one of those superheroes that's never had any qualms about killing he kills a lot of people I'll touch on that village scene because, like, I love that scene so much because he's doing something heroic, but he's also, like, the scene where he's, like, tinkering with his uh, his armor and he's watching the news report about the, the, the refugees. Mm-hmm. And you can just see how pissed he is, how mm-hmm. angry, how upset with himself that he had anything to do with this. Yes, he's doing something heroic, but he's also fucking pissed and he's ready to tear shit up. I don't know, he, like, Tony Stark, he's such an interesting superhero to me in the MCU because he's not Superman. You know, he's not coming in with, Mm -hmm. like, a smile and a wink. It's, like, completely morally incorruptible. Like, he's a very human guy who has a lot of anger, but he's choosing to channel that anger towards something good, which I think is really important. He's not Superman. He's Batman. He's definitely more Batman Mm -hmm. than he is Superman. Batman who broke his code a long time ago. Batman is always avoiding breaking the code, avoiding killing someone. And I don't just mean the no-kill thing, because that's... 
you know, Batman's thing. I mean that Batman is trying to prevent himself from becoming the villains that he fights. But Tony Stark was the villain that he fought. The entirety of his redemptive arc is that I am literally fighting who I was. And so it's not just the no-kill thing. It is that Tony Stark fell long ago and he's on his way back, whereas Batman is trying to stay at a point above. I also love in the village scene, there's this amazing moment. So he gets shot out of the sky with a tank, which also, by the way, great shot from the tank driver, because, God, he's a tiny human-sized target. And the tank takes another shot at him, and there's this massive shell that slams into the wall behind him and just explodes it. And then Tony pulls a tiny missile from his gauntlet. It hits the tank with a little tink sound and then blows it up. I just love that because that's like the ultimate expression of Tony built this suit to be smarter and not bigger. Well, that's also the trailer shot because any shot where there's a hero walking away from something that then blows up, that's the trailer (laughs) shot. (laughs) Yeah. It's in every single action movie, a hero walking away from... Nope. If you're a hero, you never look at the explosion. You, you always have to walk away from it. <laughs> so uh, we want to talk about Tony revealing his secret identity. Ooh. This is one of my favorite mm-hmm. things in this movie. The press conference at the end. By the way, I just want to give a shout out to Agent Phil Coulson in this movie. Introduced in the very first MCU movie. Would become an MCU staple both on movies and in TV. I love Coulson, and I love the fact that he always calls it the strategic <laughs> strategic homeland intervention mm-hmm. enforcement logistics division. Like, he always just rattles off the names. It's like, you know that that spells out S.H.I.E.L.D. You've already figured yeah. out that spells out S.H.I.E.L.D. You just, <laughs> you just like, throw people through a loop. Everyone else calls it that. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's like, you already know that's what that's spells. Well, it's like, they even say in the first episode of the TV show Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., it's like, somebody asks him, okay, what do those letters mean to you? and he's like well somebody clearly wanted our initials to spell out shield <laughs> but anyway but colson's just great in this movie but, but yeah colson just created this whole cover story for tony they totally had all of the ingredients in place where tony could be iron man and could keep it a secret and because tony is still tony even when he's trying to be selfless and trying to be a better person he still has his ego he just can't stand the thought of people not knowing that he's Iron Man. And so he yes. says the the famous line, <laughs> I am Iron Man. Which I've heard stories that that was an improv by RDJ. And I, I, I keep I keep wanting to look into that that more fully to see if that if that actually is the case, but but I, it's, it's just brilliant. It's so brilliant. I love that moment. Like, this movie, I, I had no idea of what to fully expect from it. Because, again, I've never been familiar with Iron Man. But in retrospect, that was one of the first big hints to me. And one of the big strengths of the MCU is that the MCU really builds on character first and foremost. Who these characters are as a person will inform the plot, will inform where these stories go. Absolutely first and foremost. And that, to me, was like one of the first big indications because they could have had him go with the cover story. They could have had that be normal. But that is the moment where you could feel the writers, uh, Robert Downey Jr., pretty much everyone had to like sit down and think. It's like, if we're really being true to the character we've established throughout the entire rest of this film, wouldn't he just say he's Iron Man? And the answer is yes, he, he would. Exactly. Like, I absolutely love that because that is 100% serving who they built as this character. I, I love I love that moment so much. At the moment that it was done, it was revolutionary. 
because we always had the heroes mm. that had to have the secret identities and because mm-hmm. people would come after them. And I like that it plays out that whether you share your secret identity or you don't, they're going to come after you. So you might as well actually enjoy the time. And I'm glad that he decided to do it. It would not surprise me that RDJ improv the line, I am Iron Man. But with John Favreau over the project, he's a bit of a dad joke uh, aficionado. So it's it <laughs> would be interesting to know whether... It was written into the script whether he told him to say it or whether RDJ just said, I am Iron Man instead of I'm Iron Man. I mean, it was pretty cool. It was pretty boss that he would do it. It very definitely felt like the way Tony Stark would have done it. He did it the most flashy, but yet pulled back way possible. Well, it was a complete impulse thing in the moment, which is also what I love about it. He did not go into yes. that press conference knowing that he was going to do that. He just yeah. made a decision in the moment. Oh, it would be pretty cool if everybody knew <laughs> that I was Iron Man. Yeah. And so he's just like, no, I'm just going to say it and be, be damned the consequences. So um, the the pro- post-credit scene, what do y'all feel about the post-credit scene? The reveal of Sam Jackson as Nick Fury, one-eyed Mace Windu. It's great. It's just, it's just a great little tease to let the audience know that this is building towards something else. It's it's the first real hint of a shared Marvel Cinematic Universe. Great sequel tease, great, you know, showing, hey, Sam Jackson's going to be in these movies going forward. Famously, every single MCU movie has at least one credit scene. Except for Endgame. Except for Endgame. That is actually true. But every single one other than Endgame has some kind of credit scene, and several of them have more than one credit scenes. This is still one of my favorites. I just love him coming back into his house after the press conference and Nick Fury is there saying, you just stepped into a larger universe and it's time you learned about the Avenger initiative. Like, it's just a great tease. It's such a hype moment if you're seeing it for the first time. So I love it. My knowledge of Marvel at this point was uh, Spider-Man. And I was vaguely aware the X-Men existed as well. Yeah, that was, that was pretty much my entire knowledge of Marvel. I knew nothing about Nick Fury, S.H.I.E.L.D., any of that. So for me, when I saw that end credit tease, that was deeply unexpected. So all I see is, you know, Tony, who we've just been following, going into his house. And there is one-eyed Sam Jackson staring at him and telling him, You're not the only superhero out there. You just stepped into a larger world. And I have got a proposition for you. So I don't know anything about this, but I am on board because that is just a brilliant, for me, opening up of, holy crap, this is going somewhere interesting. And also I'm a sucker for Sam Jackson looking like a badass, like the moment he steps on screen. Just like, okay, I have no idea who Nick Fury is, but he's super That's interesting. I actually was familiar with Nick Fury going into this movie. Uh, I mostly knew kind of the white version of Nick Fury from mainstream Marvel, which I'd read several comics with him in it. But I knew I knew about the version because I I had read some issues of Ultimate Spider-Man and also played the Ultimate Spider-Man video game where the version of even before Sam Jackson plays Nick Fury, there's a version of Nick Fury that looks exactly like Sam Jackson, which is why he ended up getting cast in this role is because they the ultimate Marvel comic books, they had asked for Sam Jackson's permission to use his likeness because they basically had already fan cast him as nick fury and then as a result of that he actually got cast as nick fury which to me is just perfect i 
prefer him as Nick Fury because the comic book version looks too much like Mitt Romney and that will just make me puke. To me, actually, to me, he always looked like Reed Richards with an eye patch. That was what it was Ooh. for me. Like he, like he looks like <laughs> Mr. Fantastic with an eye. The first time I saw Nick Fury in a comic book, I was like, what is this Reed Richards evil twin? I literally thought he was like an evil twin of Reed Richards with an eye patch. It's like, That's oh hilarious. no, I guess this is just another dude. Okay. <laughs> yeah, they're really, they're really just running these guys on a printer somewhere, aren't they? All right, so are we ready to start scoring this? Yeah, I think we're at that point. I'm very glad to go ahead and say that because of the impact on this movie, the absolutely beautiful impact of Yinsen, Robert Downey Jr.'s instant loving, just absolutely lovable performance as Tony, um, just one of the most memorable characters built. Um, just a fantastic introduction to what would become this expansive insane beautiful uh world of superheroics and just handling it so well and amongst all that beautiful strange world remaining one of the best movies in the entire series i gotta give iron man a 10 out of 10 i give the movie an 8 i liked it um i give it an 8 because it's the first so there's still character development i mean robert downey jr knocks out tony stark the character but he gets better as it goes on so I give it an eight. I give it a solid eight. I'm going to actually have to go and say that I give it a nine out of ten. And the only reason why I give it a nine out of ten is because Gwyneth Paltrow. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> it's, it's a perfect movie. It's really well done, but I'm just not a Gwyneth Paltrow fan. I'm sorry. Your choice. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, Gwyneth. I think you're amazing as a person. I am so sorry. I'm a bastard. Here's here's the thing about this movie. It sets up the foundation for the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but it does so in a way where it never forgets to be its own movie. That is the mistake mm. that so many movies make nowadays when they're trying to set up a universe is all they do is set up the universe. I agree. It's a perfect movie. It's, it's definitely a 10 out of 10. There's no way this movie's not a 10 out of 10. Thank you for listening to Nerd Shit. <laughs> I am Troy Hensley. I am a filmmaker and comedian out here in California. Uh, you can find some of my stuff at MetalWolf.com or TroyHensley.com. And you can uh, Google Troy Hensley, H-E-N-C-E-L-Y, and see any of my doings. Wrong or right. Mostly wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> My name is Tommy Scoggins. I'm also actor, filmmaker. You can find me on Instagram at Stone Drifter. That's Stone underscore Drifter. I'm uh, Zachariah Schneider. Um, I'm an actor, a little bit of writer, and mostly just a darn good voice. Um, you can find me on Facebook or on Twitter under the handle Zachariah Schne4. Uh, that's uh, Zachariah Schne, S C H N E 4. Um, although you can probably pull me up just by looking up uh, Zachariah Schneider. Hey, I'm Sam Wilson, actor, director, writer, based out of Atlanta, Georgia. I also play music for punk bands. If you're ever in Atlanta and you see a band called Midnight Voltage, I play bass for them as well. You can find me on Instagram at scwilson underscore actor. That's sc for cats, Wilson underscore actor. And you can follow Nerd Shit at the Nerd Shit Podcast on both Facebook and Instagram, and we're going to be uh, dropping 
new episodes weekly on Fridays. Uh, check out our next week's episode. Our next week's episode is going to be one that starts a new universe, perhaps a movie that might fill you with hope or with existential angst, depending on who you are. But until next time, stay shitty, nerds. Nerd shit, nerd shit. So strap on in, because we're talking about the nerd shit.